Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right, folks, welcome back to, once again, another episode of EMS on the Mountain. It's my announcer yeah. voice. There's a reason. It's horrible. Yeah, so there's a reason I'm not a radio or broadcast professional, and I'm here with you. So, yeah, that's that. fair. Also, you have a face for radio, so this is a true story. Too. Yeah, says this guy. All right, man. Well, today's episode, we're going to be talking about preparedness and improvisation. So, the official title to this episode was "MacGyver's Cool, But Be Prepared." So. In the grand scheme of things, anybody that's ever heard about a wilderness first aid course, whether it's wilderness first aid, wilderness first responder, or just wilderness medicine in general, even at some of the, we'll call it advanced practitioner level up through physicians and such, you're always talking about improvisation. Like, this is how I'm going to improvise doing this thing. And I would say that is kind of where we make the big point of departure from traditional medicine, established EMS, hospital activities, et cetera. Because the ability to make do and treat your patients with what you have on hand, it's not what you have in the ambulance or the ED. So improvising is, is cool, right? You need to be able to improvise some things. But if you're considering yourself a professional EMS responder, going into it with the mindset of I'll just improvise that is probably the one way to do it. Now, when it comes to improvisation, for those of us that grew up in the 90s, or I'm sorry, the 80s, I'm not even dating myself, one name synonymous with improvisation. And if you don't know who that is, I have a Google search for you to do. Is He-Man, right? The man, no, no. He-Man was okay, but all he had was a sword and couldn't kill anybody with it. And the power of the problem. No, that was yeah. the bad guy. Yeah. No, it was He-Man, who we're talking about, because <laughs> Mike is Mike. My bad. Yeah. I have no idea Here. what cartoons I watched as a child. I'm a bad yeah. person. I, I think where you were going was bare-chested blonde men. So I'm speaking specifically of... MacGyver, right? So MacGyver, the king of improvisation, trusty Swiss army knife always at his side. So this man with his Swiss army knife, paperclip, and a roll of duct tape, this man could either rebuild your Chevy or disarm a nuclear weapon. Quite literally, he's probably done both in an episode somewhere along that show's run. MacGyver is often hailed as the literal king of improvisation, right? Limited tools and resources, and he could do everything you wanted him to be able to do. I also have to give an honorable mention to a Mr. B.A. Baracus, who could take pretty much anything with an engine and build you anything else with an engine. And if you don't know who B.A. Baracus is, shame on you. You can begin with bodybuilders, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so if you don't know who either one of those on, you need to pop on over to the interwebs, get on Ask Jeeves, and do some, uh, some web searching. Is Ask Jeeves on. even a thing still? And like, can, that's is what I say. Ask Jeeves a website? Still, I, to this day? I honestly don't know, but I had to give an 80s, well, not even an 80s, that's what, a 2000s-ish reference when the internet became a thing? Yeah. 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 Because MacGyver didn't have to Google anything to do it. He just knew it. Same with BA. All right. So, enough of our... Sure ask, I'm pretty sure Ask Jeeves is gone. Yep, it's been shut down. I would like to think it is. It should be, for the love of God. It was probably one of the worst of the search engines. Oh, it was awesome, man. Yeah. Predated Google. Predated everybody, pretty much. Yeah. True. All right. So. All right. Back, back to the task at hand, improvisation, right? So 
we get back into it on the medical perspective, right? Splints made out of sticks, using bandages from bark in your old socks, making a traction splint from a ski pole, some random webbing, and a carabiner, right? <laughs> These medical things would make MacGyver proud. However, they make me very, very sad. If you are not out there as a just bystander who's come across an injured or ill person and you don't have kit with you, no trained EMS provider who provides wilderness EMS, not just on your weekends off hiking, but if you are going out as a duly tasked and assigned EMS responder and you are having to improvise these same tools, you make me very, very sad. Dude, I like the term sticks and stones may break my bones, but I'm certainly not going to split with them. I don't understand the concept and, and maybe it's maybe it's just the cool factor. I don't improvise tools to work on my car 99.99% of the time, unless you don't have that torsion wrench handy and you can't find something. I certainly don't improvise material when repairing my home. Like if I lost some, some siding on the house, I'm gonna go get some damn siding because purpose built and all that. But for some reason in the wilderness medicine community, we get really wound up about, oh, well, we're just going to MacGyver. See, there's that reference. We're going to yeah. MacGyver the heck out of some stuff. We're going to go ahead and produce professional care. We're going to affect professional care by using sticks and stones and some leaves and some twine made from vines. Like, come on. That's just not a good idea. So if you're going to go in the woods and provide care, you should probably have the medical equipment that you need to provide care. Now that said, we talk about this ad nauseum. It's kind of the entire theme of our podcast. You can't carry all the things on your back all the time, but uh, you have the kit and you have the training, you can go a long way, right? That doesn't, it's not to say that you need to carry a full suite of sea collars into the backcountry, <laughs> but maybe having a couple of Sam splints with you, right? Or quite frankly, this just happened to us a couple of weeks ago. If you think somebody fell down from a pretty good height, maybe you should, I don't know, bring some sea collars or have them come in behind you. So that you can eventually see collar the patient. Do not use, like, do not try to jimmy a sea collar out of things in the environment. Those courses and that concept is predicated on being a layperson that happens to have to execute medical care unexpectedly. It is not predicated on a professional that is ready to respond when the tones drop, or the proverbial tones drop. And then you're going to go to the woods and be like, oh, well, shoot, I, I left all my tools of the trade back at the shop. I guess I'll, uh, I'll just have to jimmy up some stuff here quick. So. It's absolutely a thing. It, there's never going to be a time where you're like, oh, I've got every, absolutely every single tool I've ever needed. But I can tell you right now in the back of a unit, in a helicopter, whatever, there's improvisation that occurs all the time, right? Oh, I, I don't have a vacuum tanner for the bloods I'm drawing. Well, I can still use a 20cc syringe and use a, a draw needle to get the blood into the vials. We improvise all the time, but let's not go out into the wilderness with a plan to improvise before we even start down the road. You need to make sure that your, your basic kit is properly stocked. You need to understand the area and understand what you're probably up against. And to a certain extent, prepare your response unit and your response equipment into appropriately compartmentalized response kit, if you will, to grab what you need given the report of the situation and not have to carry the entire kitchen sink into the woods. But also, don't go out there planning to go, well, you know, I only brought one set of cling. So I guess if we need anything else, I'm just going to use leaves and some tape to cover up that wound. That's, that's not the right deal. The most common place that this occurs all the time, I shouldn't say all the time, the most common place this gets talked about a lot is splinting. Splinting is not that, I mean, a couple of board splints, not the end of the day, 
Sam splints go a long way to splinting most injuries, especially things you're going to see in the wilderness, right? A lot of twisted ankles, maybe a dislocated knee. But anything that's going to involve splinting, for the most part, is also going to involve a carryout. And that means that you're carrying this six-foot-plus metal basket into the woods eventually. And it makes a pretty handy gear transporter to carry in the things you need to like do the splinting when you get there. So, you know, maybe bring along some stuff. I mean, per our notes here, if you think they might have broken a femur, maybe bring a traction splint. I mean, if you believe in those things. So, yes. I mean, I take, I take all so, the things needed to splint uh, femur fractures as well. It's called a vacuum splint in fentanyl. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, you know, common EMS practice is to traction splint broken femurs if it's mid-shaft and all of the other criteria that are met, pelvic girdles intact, all those things. The one common place that we've seen improvisation all the time was pelvic binders. There are pelvic binders on the market now. They work better. I personally believe that we should probably kill the idea of just wrap their pelvis with blankets and, and make a winslet. And that's what it's called, right? A, a windless. Winslet. Not, not winslet. Windless. Windless. There you go. Good job. Yeah. Windless. Yeah. I'm a paramagician. And the one other big thing, and this is huge for Sean and I, a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, and a glucometer are not that heavy. Like, just bring them along. A palpated pulse, and I know this gets taught a lot in a lot of EMT classes, a radial pulse or a femoral pulse or a carotid pulse does not automatically equate to a blood pressure. It's not as close as you would think, right? Actually taking a blood pressure and having somebody with the ability to take a proper blood pressure and taking their time to take the blood pressure gives you a lot of good data on the state of your patient and taking their blood pressure so often is, it's good medicine. Let's not skip the basics. Bring the stuff you need. So the theme here is MacGyver's cool, but I can't think of any other profession where we talk about having a set of tools for the job and then being like, eh, I'm not actually going to bring them with me, right? I'm a cop, but I'm going to leave my gun belt and my plates in the car when I go to that bank robbery call. Like, that would never happen. We kid up. We, we tool up for situations that need the equipment. We don't tool down and then figure it out later. And I'm not sure why wilderness medicine in particular is talked about as this thing where you have to improvise all the stuff because you don't want to carry it. Like, bring it, man. That's your job. Anyway, I'm stepping off my soapbox now. <laughs> right. So Mike said on a couple of big points right here, it's the improvisation thing is cool, right? It's knowing how to make something from nothing to get a job done. And the ability to do that in medicine is important, but we have to keep that in context. You might hit it on the head. Like when we talk about this improvisation using sticks and less than ideal items or objects to do certain things for our patients. It's for those folks that went in with maybe a basic person. <laughs> Disco break. <laughs> My bad. Hit the wrong button. That probably will not get edited out. That's just going to stay. I, yeah, I, say, I think you need to keep that. <laughs> that just needs to stay. Yeah. It's good Hit job. the wrong button. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> anyway, now that I threw you off completely, go ahead, Sean. Holy crap. Yeah. So, so if you're a wilderness first aid provider, and you're with a scout troop or a hiking group or something else like that, yeah, there's only so much you're going to be able to bring and you're going to get to a point when you need more. So when is it okay to improvise? All right. So from Sean's perspective, you're a soft medic, special operations medic, and you're in an extremely remote corner of the world and you have very little chance to resupply and do other things. And you've got a patient that comes in or is, is made by somebody else for you. And you might not necessarily have brought with you a specific piece of kit to help take care of that person. You're going to have to improvise. Part of that improvisation, though, is, is knowing what you have to do and what, what's going to get that job done. 
there's actually a piece of that course that teaches students how to improvise and build key medical kit that they may not have with them because you never know when it's going to happen. It's almost like they prepare them to have to do it. Like they build the skill set of improvisation as opposed to just eh, figuring it out on the fly. Right. Weird. Uh, huh. yeah, I mean, they, they do. They train a bit for the improvisation side, but at the same time, they're also taught how to do good operational planning and take everything that they believe they're going to need. Now, just like everybody else, you're going to get eventually limited on, on size and weight and, and space. You know, it's going to depend. Are you vehicle-based? Are you, are you truly foot-based with a backpack? But you're going to have a capacity limit eventually. So when you're out on about on your own, so you're an EMT, you're a paramedic, and you're out there for a hike, a backpacking trip with your friends, I'm going to hope you have at least a foundational fundamental first aid kit that's going to take care of, we'll say, the more common types of injuries you might see while doing such activities. And something happens, then you're going to get to improvise, right? You get to be that wilderness first aid provider who's like, wow, well, Sarah, it looks like you fractured a forearm. Let's, uh, let's get some sticks together and we're going to splint this thing and help you walk out and get you to the doctor place. Okay, that's cool, right? I get that. And that's kind of where the, the traditional wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder comes in. But at the same time, I know, well, at least for the company I used to work with, we taught how to improvise splinting, but we also taught you how to use a SAM splint and we taught you how to use a SAM splint correctly. It's lightweight. I've heard it's those small. work. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of kit. Anyway, and lastly, you've hit what we'll call MCI criteria. You simply have more patience than you have gear to work with. You'd, uh, at a certain point, if, and this happened, almost happened, we'll say, with Mike and I once, we had two patients, and because the severity of each patient was actually really high, they both would have been categorized as red on the trauma triage, uh, normal criteria. But it was two patients, and it took basically all of the available resources in the region to take care of them with us. The good news is, is Mike and I were both independently equipped with all of our own stuff. And we didn't really run out of things for our patients because we had enough. But had there been a third patient, we would have had to start triaging medical equipment as well. Ooh, your minor fracture, you don't get a SAM splint. I've got a really bad fracture over here. I'm taking your extra SAM splint mm -hmm. or IVs. Who knows, right? Because we only carry, basically, Mike and I only carry a bag a piece. And if we had a third patient who really needed some volume assistance as well, it's like, well, mine's relatively stable right now. I'm going to keep access, but you can have the bag and go flow fluids on that person. Yeah, that's what I use creek water. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. I would never improvise creek water into a person, just so we're clear, unless I had to and they were going to die. But that's going to kill them anyway, so not doing that. Yeah, there's there's a whole other issue of comms right there. <laughs> so you might have to get to a point where you're where you're literally triaging equipment just like you do your patients. And we and this is something actually we used to do in our scenarios in the wilderness first aid courses I used to teach. You'd give them a very limited first aid kit. It was really designed for one or two patients with predominantly minor injuries. And then you would give them some kind of off the wall patients, made them one, you had to think outside the box and do some of that improvisation. But you had to think about what supplies were going to go to what patient, what made the most sense. So you got to think about that. So th there are times that even as, a, as an EMS provider, even if you're on an ambulance, you can get to a point where, wow, I've, I've got a lot of patients here. I'm the only unit on scene. I've got to get some major things done. You might have to decide who's going to get what in, from your ambulance. If you're in a small rural service, primarily volunteers, that doesn't have a super well-stocked modern ambulance, you're using a lot of hand-me-down kit and stuff from grants, you can run into this fairly quickly, right? So might you have to improvise some things? Yes. 
But what you're improvising, I'm hoping, is things like Mike talked about, like a pelvic binder. You're going to use the old traditional sheet instead of using a teapot or a SAM pelvic binder, right? Splinting, I'm hoping you're not driving off the side of the road there or wandering off the side of the road with your machete in hand to cut down some sticks for splinting. I'd like to think you might have enough board splints or SAM splints on your unit to take care of some of that. You might run out. I know even urban ambulances really aren't outfitted for lots of splinting. It's, hey, we can do an arm and a leg and something else on a person, and then we resupply it. So we do one patient a leg at a time, and, basically. And a pinch of spleen, and then you got to go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, splinting those spleens. Yeah, you right. really got to splint those things good. So it's important that you know how to do some improvisation, but no ambulance should ever be tearing T-shirts in half to provide bandaging on a patient, unless you have hit severe, severe critical mass casualty type events. I'm talking very large mass casualty events, like school bus full of people, like tour buses of 30, 40, 50 plus people, where there's just, they went over a bridge and there's just crazy trauma all over the place. Then we might be able to say, okay, that's acceptable. Do that work. Because you still have to be able to treat your patients and do those things that need to be done. But as we've pointed out previously, improvising as a means to not carry something with you is unacceptable. So we have- Phone a friend. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, right? So Mike mentioned it. We had a call a couple weeks ago, a very severe patient, rumored to have taken quite a fall. Turns out they took quite a fall. And so in our planning, it's like, okay, we've got our kit. We got some, we had to take some extra rope stuff with us because we didn't know about access. Turned out that was a thing. And, but what we had were those forces that were coming behind us that were going to be bringing the litters, the ropes for rigging and things like that. Said, hey, in the back of the ambulance, grab our small orange ALS bag and bring that with you. And in that bag, that brings us extra fluids, our advanced airway supplies, more trauma gear, et cetera, right? So we already had additional supplies coming to us. We did take one sea collar with us out of the unit. It was, uh, they're adjustable collars, you know, so they fit everybody. Well, mostly, right? No necks through giraffe neck folk. Everybody's a no neck, dude. Every, everybody knows that. There's no such thing as a non-no neck. Everybody's a no neck. <laughs> Just about, right? So which odd, right? How do, how do I'm they also kidding. Models? Everyone is not a no neck. I'm not going to do an episode. We are not going to do an episode on how to properly size a C collar, but for the love of God, <laughs> no. not everyone is a no neck. But this goes back to what we knew was the most likely mechanism of action, the injuries that can be associated with said mechanism. And we went prepared for that. The only thing we didn't take with us from the ambulance as we headed back country was the traction splint for a possible fractured femur. Uh, you yeah, can ask us but, why later, but it turns out we didn't need that anyway, which yeah, the only thing we, we did need for that girl wasn't going to be but, useful. So, uh, yeah, so there's, there are some other things with that. So know what your mission is, what you're going into. Like if you know, with general certainty, you're being sent out into the woods for a dislocated shoulder, dislocated knees, a possible broken ankle, broken leg, whatever it might be. Think about that for a second. And then decide, yep, I'm going to carry that. Let me bring an extra one of these. I think Mike and I both carry at least one, usually two Sam splints a piece. Yeah, I've got Uh, two in my kit. And if I think I need, like if I think I need something for a a big long bone fracture, like a full leg board splint, I will take a full length board splint. Well, probably not the four foot model, but maybe the three foot version. I'll just take take a crutch. Take that off of the unit and slide that in my backpack and walk with it. It's a couple more ounces, and yeah, ounces make pounds, but at the end of the day, I'm a professional responder, and I need to take the tools that are designed to do the job. Yep. 
So there's that. Now, the key is, should you know how to improvise? And again, we fit this. The answer is yes, without a doubt, you need to know how to improvise. Now, here's the trick. Do you know how to do the improvisation? If you need, this comes down to knowing the fundamentals of what the purpose-built device or object does and being able to think of a way to make something that does that same thing. Traction splints are a popular one for people to try and improvise. I am a huge, huge, huge advocate of hell no, not ever, don't ever improvise a traction splint for various reasons. Again, you can ask me why later or send me an email at sean at emsonthemountain.com. I'll happily answer that for you. Dude, you're getting spammed now. Yeah, probably. Whatever. Yeah. Somebody will email don't me. Click, don't click on the link where they're going to give you a bunch of money if you give them money from... No Nigerian African princes? Somewhere. Yeah, no Nigerian princes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if I had to suddenly improvise a BVM, do I know how to improvise a BVM? I've got a general idea. I probably should have just brought one with me. They make some lovely compact versions that, while a bit heavy, are very compact and fit in a backpack nicely. Bring it if you think you need it. Right? I bring one on all my backcountry calls. It just lives in there. But you have to know how to make that thing, right? You have to understand if it's a mechanical type device. And a BVM is semi-mechanical, right? It's got a couple of things with it. But you need to know how to build that, right? A stick for a splint is really pretty simple. T-shirts and other things, tampons, pads, whatever, to make bandaging, really relatively simple. Not that complicated. But if you're having to improvise some actual medical stuff because you're providing perhaps some advanced level care in a remote setting for a obviously extended period of time where you can't just evacuate the patient to a place that's got these things. You need to know how to build them and you need to really understand how they work so that you build it correctly and it functions. And maybe ask for them to come. So if you have to build a splint, maybe the next people coming in behind you to help should bring splinting if you don't have it. That's just, just nonsense. That out there. Asking putting that out there. (laughs) Like Mike said, if you have somebody that took a fall or, you know, has a fractured lower extremity and they're not walking out, you know, they're getting carried. So, you know, you have a carry out team coming and boy, you know what else a carry out team can carry? Extra things for you. Stuff. Full body vacuum splints, board splints, additional insulating layers for your patient. It's cold. And they're bringing you extra warming stuff for your patient. Amazing, Perhaps right? Perhaps even some additional medicine. I know it's heavy and those vials get, get hard to carry, but perhaps a little bit extra, the good stuff for the extended hey, carryout. If, if they'd issue me more, I'd carry more. Take that weight, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So the meds is a good one, right? That's one that might get resupplied or brought to you more often than a lot of things, simply because even on an ambulance, I only have so many vials of fentanyl, right? So turns out that I have the same amount of vials of fentanyl on my ambulance as I do in my backpack when I go out. So, and I'm talking about my urban ambulance and my wilderness backcountry setup, right? So I get two vials, no matter what I'm in. I get two vials on my ambulance and I get two vials in my backpack. So Your I have the same amount. Step up, dog. I don't need that much fentanyl for making the long, we'll call it long 30 minute transport. Plus I have a lot of ketamine, mm. which I also have in my backpack for the wilderness. Uh, and we have another episode on backcountry pain management. You should listen to that one when it comes out, if it's already out. I don't know. It's already Things up. get out it's of already, order. It's already out there. See, it's, look at in that. The, it's, it's on the interwebs, my friend. So you should listen to that one. It's a great right. episode. But I'm well, now, that, now that we're just rambling, Sean, I feel like perhaps I'm going to wrap this up and say, quite frankly, 
if you're a professional, don't improvise. We just spent 26 minutes saying, don't make crap. That's pretty much the gist. You have to MacGyver stuff, do it. But really, you should never, as a professional responder, find yourself saying, well, I'm not going to bring along the things I might need. And I'll just go ahead and make it when I get there. Like, just bring it. It's important. You're a professional. You need the professional tools. I kind of liken that to the, uh, our friends who, well, like Mike and I also ride urban ambulances. And that's like not taking in your house bag, your jump bag, whatever, and your life pack. It's like, eh, I'm just going to take in the life pack because I just need to get some vitals in the house. Or maybe I'm just going to walk in with an iPad so I can start getting some demographics and we'll figure it out from there. And that's when you walk in. Quick refusal and get back to lunch. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they walk in and that. Oh, mild shortness of breath is suddenly a cardiac arrest. And you're like, holy balls, somebody run to the truck and get all of my things again. So be the professional, bring the stuff you're supposed to bring, have the things you're supposed to have. And if you find yourself in a situation where you've expended all of your resources that you have appropriately brought with you, then we can start delving into the world of improvisation. But as we've mentioned before, ask somebody to bring that stuff to you first, or don't just skip step b and go right to d and f yeah all right well with that i think we've hammered that message enough so (laughs) uh yeah any last thoughts sean no all All right macgyver he's a pretty cool guy and all you young whippers should google that now or ask your parents (laughs) don't make me feel old you are peace if you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.